0: you mm-hmm. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. This is Fundamentally Mormon. Today we're going to be reading Part 2 of Mormonism versus Reincarnation, Chapter 19 of Reincarnation, Life and Eternal Lives. Some reincarnationalists have pointed to a statement by Wilfred Woodruff in support of their beliefs, quote, and we're on page 171, if you're reading along. I said this was my birthday, yes, I am forty-two years old today. this day. How such figures look to man while counting up his years in this probation. The very sight of them crowd into the mind a flood of thought even more than tongue can utter or pen can write. The last sixteen years of my life have been spent in endeavouring to preach the gospel and build the key up the kingdom of God in connection with my brethren. The past is gone. I have no desire to recall it. I would not wish to live my life over if I could. End quote, Wilfred Woodruff Journals, March 2, 1849. However, Wilfred Woodruff did not say he was going to live it over again only if he could there are many statements that include the term eternal lives which reincarnationalists pick up on for example doctrine and covenant section 132 verse 24 states this is lot eternal lives to know the only wise and true god and also goodbye brother brigham until the morning of the resurrection day when thy spirit and body shall be reunited and thou shalt inherit immortality and eternal lives and everlasting glory. Correlated History of the Church, Volume 5, page 516. This is easily clarified with the definition of eternal lives given by Brigham Young. He, Brigham Young, also showed that the subject of no other kingdom had the privilege of propagating their species but those of the celestial kingdom and they who were counted worthy as was abraham would have endless posterity or in other words be the father of eternal lives and that was recorded in the wilford woodruff journals march 2nd 1861 so it was Brigham's idea that uh, that what eternal lives means is that we are able to create more lives. Um, according to what I was shown, we don't create eternal... Or we don't create spirits. That what I was shown... So many years ago... Um, I was studying out reincarnation and trying to figure out like if there was any truth to it, and I thought that um, that I had found something that proved that there was eternal uh, reincarnation, and God revealed to me that the specific example that I was that I was looking at was actually the the person. That was remembering a past life, wasn't remembering their past life. That what they were remembering was when they were a spirit being, they were ministering, a ministering spirit assigned to an individual, and that they were remembering that individual's life who lived in World War II and died in a Conair or a con, Concert or something, an airplane that flies off an aircraft carrier but they weren't remembering their own specific mortal life. Also, uh, many years ago, I was asking God, and I asked this for many years before I got this this answer, and the answer came not by revelation, but by being taken up in the Spirit, and God himself showed me many, many things. And one of the things he showed me, uh, well, what I was asking was, where was God before the Big Bang Theory? Because I was taught that in school. I was taught that this this was a fact. And there was lots of evidence for it. Now, really interesting. So, I don't remember what the name of the telescope is that they just put up into space. But it's the one that replaced the Hubble telescope. Anyway, they just were able to see so far out into space with this telescope that they were able to disprove the Big Bang Theory, which was taught as fact when I was a kid. So I was asking about the Big Bang Theory, and I was asking, okay, I know God exists. Um, I know that, um, that he's eternal, and that I was wondering where he was before the Big Bang happened. Like, was he just in the void of nothingness, and then, like, he spoke... The whole universe into existence or how that worked and like i had tried to wrap my mind around this concept to the point where i was like like really trying to like understand this and i'd asked god many times where he was before the big bang happened and he took me up in the spirit so i was taken up out of my body so like an out-of-body experience which I absolutely love when god does this because i have a lot of pain in my body and when he does this i'm like taken out of the pain of my body and i'm able to like it it's just so free and so painless and you don't have the density of your body which you feel when you're in the body anyway so he took me up and he took me to a place in in space or in, in the universe and there was this vast cloud of light. And he told me that these were... This is the intelligence. And like, this is probably one of these these places where intelligence is. I believe that there are places all over the universe like this. But this is one that I was seeing. And we came into the cloud of light. And I saw that the cloud of light was made... Of all of these orbs of light, like raindrops in a cloud. like the cloud you see it. I'm looking at my window right now. It's 7:30 in the morning about. and I see clouds out my window. okay, But the cloud is made up of these little molecules of moisture. And this cloud of light is made up of these orbs of light and he said look and i looked at a specific orb and i saw it flash a flash of light and i saw two orbs of light separate from one orb of light after the flash and he explained to me that this is the birth of the spirit that when an intelligence gets to the point where it becomes self-aware the feminine and the masculine energies separate and the beginning or the birth of the spirit happens so there is a there is a birth to the spirit but the intelligence from whence the spirit comes is eternal and that that when the intelligence becomes a spirit and it becomes a male spirit and a female spirit these two individuals who they are when they're born, become two individuals, but that's like a soulmate or a twin spirit, one male, one female. That's where that comes from. Not everybody has, well, there's so much that you showed me in that. Um, there's many who fall, so not everybody has uh, a soulmate or a twin spirit or a twin flame or whatever you want to call it but some people do i do i know who she is uh, my wife she is not her she's not my soulmate but my wife knows who her soulmate is so you don't always marry your soulmate but they will most likely if they're on the earth at the same time you are you'll know who they are anyway so um so there's this idea in Mormonism that that you get to create spirits. That's not the case. What you get to do is you get to help spirits grow and learn from their infancy. And that the word in Hebrew, create, actually means to organize. So when Jesus Christ created the earth, he didn't create the earth. He helped organize the spirits that would come to this earth. That is how he is a creator. When Michael was instructed by Jehovah our Elohim to create this earth, he helped organize the physical matter of this earth, and he organized the plants and the animals that would be part of this earth, and he named them. He didn't create them out of thin air. He brought them from other spheres of existence on other planets. Like a like a, like a, a Noah ship. <laughs> okay, I had a phone call from my wife that I had to answer. But getting back to what I was saying, um, that we help organize the spirits in that we as older spirits who have gone through things we teach the younger spirits how things are done and that's how we help to organize or create because the word in Hebrew uh, that is for create means to organize not to just like poof into out of thin air so um so that's how we are able to help others um Now, since I'm talking about this, God showed me that the elements are eternal and that the intelligence are eternal and that the energy, that there's energy uh, in the universe and that's eternal. It's not created. There was no big bang that happened. That, that... The intelligence are eternal and that that when God, the eternal father, who was the first. Well, God, the eternal father and God, the eternal mother were the first to become self-aware. They were intelligences and they were the first of our group to become self-aware and that um, that in the process of time, they learned. And they grew and all of these rules and laws that they have come up with, uh, with the council of the Elohim who are the exalted ones over the course of time, they've come up with the plan of salvation and they've come up with, uh, organizing the universe, creating materials or organizing materials and, um, and organizing the spirits and all of these things that are going on in this world they've happened on millions of worlds before this and they will continue to happen and the father our father told me that it is god's goal to organize the universe and to to help create children to organize them so that they can eventually receive their exaltation and become part of the Elohim. So, in order to become an Elohim, you have to actually become uh, God the Witness, and then you have to become a Redeemer of a world like Jesus or Yeshua did, and like Michael, our Father, did in a world before this one. You have to become a Father of an earth, and that at the end of that period. You are given the right, or the the blessing, to become part of the Elohim. Like a lot of people in modern Mormonism believe that Elohim is the name of the Father, and it's not. All over the Hebrew Bible, Jehovah is called our Elohim. Jehovah or Jehovah has a title of Elohim. He comes from the Elohim. In the temple endowment we see that the council of the gods under the direction of God the Eternal Father instruct Jehovah our Elohim to take Michael our father to this earth so that he can organize it. And then he descended from, cel- from a celestial existence and became immortal on the earth To give his spirit children. um, This is so complicated, but I got to try to explain it since I got into it. So Jesus Christ is our redeemer. Because he's our redeemer and we are his redeemed, we become his children through the law of adoption. So we are spiritually the children of Jesus Christ, but we are physically the children of Adam, who is Michael. Michael on an older earth was a redeemer and bought us with the redemption, much the same way Jesus Christ did. And we, become, we became Michael's spiritual children. When this earth was organized and he became the Adam of this world, taking upon himself the name of God the Eternal Father, Adam, Amen. And Eve or Hava, who was Ashura, took upon herself the name of Hava or Eve, as to reverence the names of God the Eternal Father and God the Eternal Mother. But we are their spiritual children through the law of adoption because they paid, well, Michael paid for our sins on an older earth. We are Jesus's through the law of adoption spiritually because he paid for our sins on this earth and the fall and the transgressions and all of that. When the new heaven, when this earth becomes a heaven or joins in with the Shamaim or the heavens, there will be a new earth created for Jesus and that Michael, our Elohim, at that point will be instructed by the council of the gods or the Elohim to take Jesus to organize this earth and become an Adam of, uh, not this earth, but that earth, the new earth. Jesus will become the Adam of that world. And because we are physically his, We'll be physically his at that point, but we'll be spiritually his as well because we are his children through the law of adoption because he paid for our sins on this world. Anyway, this is the doctrine of the the progression of the gods and the doctrine of, of eternal lives. Anyway, but I don't think that... I, th- I know that Joseph Smith understood these things, but... And he taught them in the King Fullet Discourse and in the Lecture at the Grove, which was his last two sermons that he gave. But he also taught that getting anything into the heads of the saints was like, um, how does he put it? Hemlock knots, like trying to use a corn dodger or piece of cornbread for a wedge. And a pumpkin for a beetle, which is basically like a hammer. So basically, what he's trying to get into the heads of the saints is like, so if you're going to split a hemlock knot, hemlock is one of the harder woods. A hemlock knot is like the hardest or one of the hardest woods that you could try to split, right? And if you are going to do this, what you would use is a wedge, an iron wedge or a maul. And you'd use like a sledgehammer and you'd put that wedge on that knot and you would pound that knot until it split, which is hard to do. But but Joseph Smith goes on to say that, that if you were to use a corn dodger for a wedge or a piece of cornbread for a wedge and a pumpkin for a hammer, that's like what it's like to get anything into the minds of the saints. Like he had so much that God gave him that God's given me too. He's shown me things that Joseph Smith was shown. And I understand some of what, if not maybe even more, that what Joseph Smith knew because God chose me to be his witness. Now, I don't think I'm Joseph Smith. Some people do. I don't think so, okay? But I do believe that Joseph Smith had the same things shown to him and, like, people at that time were not ready to understand or to know the things that Joseph and he wanted to teach them. Not even Brigham Young or Wilfred Woodruff could grasp all that Joseph Smith knew. Now, you have, even though I... I do not believe Joseph Smith um, was – well, I, not Joseph Smith, Brigham Young. I don't believe that Brigham Young was the Lord's anointed, which if you listen to these programs, you know why, okay? The church was rejected according to DNC section 124. Brigham Young claimed to have the fullness of the priesthood from the Brick store from Joseph Smith, which is kind of hard to do when the father had not yet – Come to a finished temple, which never got finished. And the father never came to it to restore the fullness of the priesthood. So Joseph Smith couldn't have given it to Brigham Young. Okay, because Brigham Young is a liar. But Brigham Young also learned many things from Joseph Smith. And he had a grasp of it, but not in its fullness. So you get things like the Adam God Doctrine, which is true, but Brigham Young understood it because he was taught it by Joseph Smith, but he doesn't understand it fully, and he kind of corrupts the ideas or the, the the concepts of this theology. So, but God has shown me many things, and so I'm trying to explain them to you in a way that... Um, Joseph Smith did not have the opportunity to. Now, maybe some people, he would speak to them privately, like Brigham Young, and he would try to explain it. But, like, even though I am trying to explain it to the best of my ability, you hearing what I'm saying, you will probably get it wrong. You'll say, well, you said that. And I'll say, no, what I meant was whatever. You know, so, like, that's why I'd like to have the dialogue, but I don't get that because, you know, this is a podcast. Uh, it could be a radio show if people would call in, but then it, it just doesn't work out. Anyway, but, um, but even though Joseph Smith tried to teach certain individuals the deeper doctrines that he was trying to get into the minds of the saints that they could not accept because of their traditions and their false doctrines, like... They they didn't they didn't grasp it fully. The basically the membership of the church couldn't grasp it. Um, the people who were in positions of, of leadership they could grasp it sometimes, but like people like William Marks completely flipped out. That's where the Navu Expositor comes from because. He couldn't accept the things that Joseph Smith had been shown by God that he was trying to get into the minds of the saints, that Joseph Smith was trying to get into the minds of the saints. And they decided to create the Nauvoo Expositor and all of that mess. And, you know, and like that's the way it is with the world. And you know what? The world isn't going to understand these things. And the saints are still in the same frame of mind where they can't understand these things, if you begin to understand them, count yourself among the very elect, the remnant that Isaiah saw. Because even the majority of the people who have accepted the restoration are not going to understand these deeper concepts. Anyway, continuing on From exaltation to exaltation. Another misinterpreted quotation is from the prophet Joseph Smith when he said that we must keep going from one small degree to another and from one small capacity to a greater one, from grace to grace, from exaltation to exaltation until you attain to the resurrection of the dead. And we're on page 172 at 55% through the reading. Once again, this is part two. But that quote comes from Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 6, page 306. And you know what? I do not believe that Ogden even understood these things. Ogden believed that Brigham Young was the Lord's anointed. Ogden believed in things that... um, Many are deeper doctrines, and there, are, there is a lot of truth, truth in it, but I do not believe that he came to a full understanding of all of the things that Joseph Smith knew. But Ogden had a deeper, uh, like a more open mind to things, but he was a fundamentalist. But you know what? He's a good person to read when you're trying to understand what the early church taught and believed and, uh, and to show the difference between the early church and the modern church. And he compiled a lot of stuff that is very beneficial to the learning of those who are interested in the fullness of the gospel. Because the early church had beliefs and doctrines from the days of Brigham, or Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Which are not taught in the church anymore Like for instance Jesus Christ Is the great grandson of Jehovah our Elohim In Moses chapter 1 verse 6 Jehovah tells Moses You are in the very similitude of my only begotten son Now Jesus Christ according to current modern Mormon theology Is the only begotten son so how could Jesus, who they say is Jehovah, have an only begotten son? How could Moses be in this very similitude of Jesus' only begotten son? Because Jesus is the only begotten son of the Father. See, it doesn't make sense. And there's other places which I've talked about before, and quotes from early church leaders where they knew that Jehovah was the father of Michael and the uh, the father of Let's see. Jehovah is the father of Michael, and Michael is the father of Jesus, and Jesus is the great grandson of Jehovah R Elohim. But when you don't understand the Adam God doctrine, the progression of the gods or multiple mortal probations, you're not going to get these concepts. and because I have studied, and because God has led me to places to study specifically, and because God has shown me and, and taught me these concepts the same way he did with Joseph Smith, I understand them. And I can teach them through these programs. In Isaiah chapter 49, it talks about the Davidic servant, and it says that his first people will not accept him. And that will be a great lamentation to this individual. Like, why are you having me do this? They don't even, but God will give him a new people. Okay, so that's something that will happen. And you know what? The majority of the saints are those first group of people who will not accept these things. And that other individuals who listen to these things, like my friends in Pakistan and India, my friends in the Philippines, uh, throughout throughout the whole earth, that they will be the people that God gives me. That that when the saints are rejected, because I go to the saints first, and then I'm given another people. And in Isaiah 49, it talks about how he will sprinkle the nations of the earth with his words. Well, Isaiah saw this, individuals in in, you know in the past they wouldn't have understood how that was even possible. But now we live in a day and age where I can speak right now to you and you could be on the space station in space and hear these podcasts. You can be in Antarctica and hear these podcasts as long as you have an internet connection which they do. you can be anywhere on the earth and hear these podcasts. This is fulfilled prophecy. This is what Isaiah saw. And I'm telling you right now, I am the Davidic servant. My grandmother was a Reisovitz. She is a descendant of King David. We have our genealogy that goes back to King David. My mother is a descendant, my grandmother on my other side, my mom's mom. She's a descendant of Charlemagne and Scottish royalty and French royalty, and they are of the tribe of Ephraim. I am partly of the house of Ephraim and partly of the house of David, direct descendant. I have seen the father face to face in the flesh and I have knelt before him and he has laid his physical hands upon my physical head and sealed me up unto himself unto and unto eternal life and, been, and I've been given the keys of the kingdom and the priesthood and all of it. And that in 1995 before I converted to Mormonism or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Joseph Smith or any of that. God took me, or well, Jesus took me up in the spirit and he brought me to the Salt Lake City Temple. And I went into the highest room in the Salt Lake City Tower, which is on the east side of of the temple. And the middle, middle tower. And I went into that room and I went into the presence of the Father in the spirit which was an overwhelming, most powerful, like ineffable love that I've ever felt. And he specifically told me in 1995 that I would be the last prophet before the return of Jesus Christ. Now, that confused me at the time because I was a hardcore anti-Mormon Southern Baptist. Like, I did not like Joseph Smith. I did not like the Mormons. I didn't, whatever. And and Jesus is bringing me into this temple in Salt Lake, and the Father is telling me I'm going to be the last prophet. In 1996, I had a conversion experience, which I've talked about. Uh, if you want to know more about that, you can go to my TikToks at Red Pill Mormon and go to like how I became, you know, my conversion experience. I go through detail in, the, in detail. It's pretty long, but but I converted to Joseph Smith and God began to give me more. I was given the the Melchizedek priesthood. I was given my patriarchal blessing where it talks about how I have been given the greatest gift that God has to bestow, the gift of eternal life. That is the exact wording of my patriarchal blessing, that I have been given the gift of eternal life. My stake president and the stake patriarch both told me that that meant that I had had my calling and election, made sure that I qualified for it, which was weird because my conversion in 1996, and then this happening in 1997, like I hadn't done anything to qualify for that, as far as I was aware. And when I asked God about it, He said it's not because of who you are now; it's because of who you were before you came to this world. But He wouldn't tell me who I was before I came to this world. So I continued to ask and ask and ask. How is it possible? How do you get your calling election? Over the course of six or seven years, and then one day, in the spring of 2003, as I was praying once again about this, I was taken up in the flesh, not in the spirit, in the flesh, and I was I was shown a path. I washed off in a creek in the basin of this this valley, and I was shown a path, and I I hiked this mountain. I hiked. For hours in this place and I came to a temple of God at the top of this mountain which later on I found out is called Mount Vashel and like I was for many years I was like what does Vashel mean and then one day last year I was like oh yeah Vash in Hebrew means beautiful and El means God it literally means that the mountain is named Beautiful God. Like when God told me that, I didn't know. I was like Vashel. I, like one word. Okay, Vashal, whatever. I Like that's the name of the mountain. And then like God revealed to me like last year, Vash means beautiful and El means God. So I was taken up to the mountain of the beautiful God. And I was I was allowed to come into the temple of God and I knelt before the Father and he put his physical hands on my head and sealed me up unto eternal life. And I became the link. The mortal man on the earth who is who sealed up to the Father and those who are sealed to me through the law of adoption are sealed directly in a very short chain through me directly to our father, Michael, who is Adam. Michael is sealed to his son, Jesus Christ, and to Jehovah, our Elohim, and to the gods, all the way back to Adam, amen, God, the eternal father, and uh, and Hava, our eternal mother. And that when you're sealed to me, you are sealed to them. Thus turning the hearts of the children on the earth to the fathers and mothers in heaven. Joseph Smith said that we'd all have to be sealed back to the father, Adam. But what people didn't understand is that when Joseph Smith received his calling and election, he was sealed to Jesus Christ, who was sealed to Adam, to Michael Adam. And to Ashura, and to Jehovah our Elohim, and His wife, all the way back through the mighty ones or the, the exalted ones, to back to God the Eternal Father and God the Eternal Mother. Our family, everyone will be sealed in this family, and have been sealed in this family. In the past, and the only ones who are severed from it are those who become perdition or the sons of perdition. Continuing on, it is assumed that going from one exaltation to another is evidence of reincarnation. See, Brig or Augenkrot um, didn't understand these things, <clears throat> but the word exaltation has other meanings than just ultimately becoming a god, such as in a letter to the New York Herald, quote, say to the New York Herald, now is the time for your exaltation. Raise your standard high. So, and this is um, Brigham Young as recorded in the Doctrinal History of the Church, volume 6, page 232. And just because Brigham Young used the word exaltation in this way doesn't mean that that's God's interpretation. Once again, Brigham also said, when we have passed into a sphere where Joseph is, there will still there is still another department and then another and another and so on to an eternal progression and exaltation and eternal lives. Journal of Discourses Volume 3, page 375. But in the Doctrine and Covenants, it gives us a, a glimpse of this when we're given the white stone. When we're exalted, we're given a white stone so that we can see orders higher than exaltation. Because exaltation is the first step of, of becoming an Elohim. There are steps above. We see to a certain point, but we're given that glimpse that there's something higher than exaltation when it talks about the white stone in the Doctrine and Covenants. But that's stuff we don't need to worry about because what we need to do is understand the truth so that we can progress and accept. The fullness of the gospel, which includes the progression of the gods, exaltation and eternal lives, multiple mortal probations, the reason why Jesus did what he did, and what he is to us is both the Son, our Redeemer, and now spiritually our Father, and that Adam is also also redeemed us. And he is our Father physically because he became an Adam of an earth. We're all related to him physically. And that just as Jesus Christ is our Father spiritually through the law of adoption, when he becomes an Adam on that earth that John sees that is a new earth, that he will become our Father physically because he will become an Adam And we will go on to become his children, spiritually now, but spiritually and physically when that happens. Continuing on, this indicates that the word simply means to elevate station or level, not another step down into mortality. See also Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 6, page 367, Volume 3, page 167, and Volume 6, page 207. And you know what? I think they're on my bookshelves in the other room. I'm not going to go look at them. Sorry. This has been long enough. It's already 40 minutes and like we've only gotten through about 10% of part two. So I'll continue on. Now going back to the original statement of the prophet Joseph Smith, quote, you have got to learn how to be gods yourselves. And what is God? God is the word comes from a pagan origin. In Hebrew, it is Elohim, or mighty ones, exalted ones. I don't like using the pagan word God, even though that's the word that we understand. But Joseph Smith was basically saying you've got to learn to become exalted yourself and to be kings and priests to God the Eternal Father or to God the same as all gods or all exalted ones have done before you namely by going from one small degree to another and from one small capacity to a great one from grace to grace from exaltation to exaltation until you attain to the resurrection of the dead and then it gives you an ellipsis right but that's in doctrinal History of the Church volume 6 page 306 if you're going to proceed from exaltation to exaltation until you attain to the resurrection, it means that that men will go through exaltations until they reach the exaltation of godhood. Descending back into mortality would just be the would be the opposite of it. But Ogden understood that Michael was an exalted celestial being with his wife, who he probably didn't know. Her name is Ashora. Who Satan has used to twist and tried to make into a pagan god. Her name is Ashura. She is the wife of Michael and they became our Adam and our Eve. They descended from a celestial sphere. And became terrestrial in the garden. And then descended from a terrestrial to a telestial so that they could have mortal children outside of the garden. It's a process. At the end of their lives, they did not die. They were translated back to terrestrial and taken up, and they remained in that state until Jesus Christ paid for the fall. He says I do nothing I do nothing except for what I've seen the Father do. Our Father was a redeemer. And Jesus Christ saw the Father descend to the earth the same way that Jesus Christ did and the same way that he will again. And when Jesus Christ or Yeshua our Messiah paid for the sins and transgressions of this world in the garden of Gethsemane and sealed it upon the cross. He was in the grave for three days and three nights. And then he came back and the first person he went to was his wife, Mary, not his mom, Mary Magdalene, who Satan has tried to drag through the mud, saying that she was a harlot and a whore and possessed of devils and all the crap. It's a lie. Satan has got his lies in his, in his hooks into you with these with these disgusting doctrines. He went to his wife who was still in mortality and he said, hold me not. For I have not yet ascended to my father in heaven. But go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and to your father, speaking of our father Adam, who is Michael, and unto my God, or my Elohim, and your Elohim, speaking of Jehovah our Elohim. He presented himself to his wife on the day of first fruits to comfort her, and he said, Hold me not. And then he went to the Father and to Jehovah our Elohim and he brought Michael his father and our father Ashura our mother and his his mother through Adam and Eve or whatever he brought them back to a state of exaltation that they willingly gave up for us their children And now Michael and Ashura have regained their eternal state and their eternal lives. And at Adam and on Diamond, when they come back, all of the keys will be given to them. And then Michael will give them to Jesus. And Jesus will become a father. When the new earth and the new, the new heaven is created, Jesus will become an Adam with his wife Mary, who will become an Eve. And God the witness on the earth right now, who is in mortality, will be resurrected, and he will become in a redeemer of that world and put off his Resurrection, much the same way Jesus did when this earth was created. And he will become like Jesus was to Mohanra Moriancomer. This is the body of my spirit, and I will look like this when I come in the flesh, right? Do you think Jesus got to be that way because because he's simply the firstborn? He attained, uh, or ascended, to where he is at. The same way I will ascend to the place where he is at. When the new earth and the new the new earth is created, that John sees in the book of Revelations. And when Adam. Descends from his celestial, or not Adam. Jesus becomes an Adam, and he descends from his celestial to a terrestrial in that garden, to a telestial to have children with his wife Eve, uh, Eve who is Mary. Will be Mary. Well, whatever. The time will come when I will read when I will redeem that world. I will redeem that world. And I will return to Jesus Christ and his wife and I will bring them back to their exaltation because I will pay for the sins and transgressions of that world. I know that these things are heavy things for you to accept. But the reason why I have seen them face to face in the flesh is because I am the witness god the witness who you would refer to as the holy ghost except for i'm not a ghost i'm in mortality at this time i'm going through this probation i will be put to death and i will be raised in resurrection and then i will join with my father and my redeemer next to them as I sit on the throne next to them now I do not feel equal with them at all in any way shape or form I am a witness I am a physical eyewitness of the Father and the Son and they are the ones that have sent me and they are the ones that have put me on this path to sprinkling the nations with these words continuing on our multiple or our mortal probation Brigham Young once said I would rather be purified here than to live 10,000 years to attain the same the same point in another existence okay but that doesn't mean anything Ogden Kraut just because Brigham Young said so, see Ogden doesn't accept the fact that the church was rejected with their dead just as Jesus Christ said that would happen if they were disobedient. He thinks that Brigham Young is a prophet. He thinks that Brigham Young is the Lord's anointed. But he's not. All they who hinder this work will be cursed to the third and fourth generation. 120 to 160 years... Brigham Young lived in the first generation after the work was hindered. And Brigham Young was part of the reason why the work was hindered, along with the slothfulness of the saints. They were taking the wood which was being cut in Wisconsin and put on the Mississippi River that is shipped down the river to Nauvoo, Illinois, that was consecrated and dedicated to building the temple, and Brigham was building Masonic lodges he was adding the second the second wing onto his mansion which is weird because god in the scriptures says it is not given for one man to own that which is above another but he was using the church to build his the second wing of his mansion they finished the masonic lodge or the masonic temple before they finished the second story of the nauvoo temple for god they were using the wood which was consecrated and dedicated for the building of the temple to build other things i once had a person say well they had to clear out the mosh or the marsh did they the temple was built upon the bluff there was plenty of room up there to build a city but they were using Like, they just were dragging their feet. And in 1843, according to Lyman White, Joseph Smith said that we are now in a state of rejection with our dead. Which is what Jesus Christ warned would happen if they were not obedient to the revelation, which is recorded in the 124th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. And I know that's going to ruffle a lot of feathers. I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to tell you the truth, even if you hate me for it. Because they who believe the lie of false doctrine receive strong delusion that they might be damned because they didn't love God enough to find the truth from him. and because they believe in false doctrines they will be damned in their progression and that includes the latter day saints as it includes every other church because they are all out of order which is why jesus said he would have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of god in order implying to joseph smith that it would become out of order dnc section 1 or dnc section 85 see also isaiah chapter 28 where isaiah sees the one mighty and strong coming among the drunkards of ephraim isaiah says that all of their tables are full of filth and vomit that's because they look at the deeper doctrines as filth and vomit they reject the adam god doctrine multiple mortal probations the progression of the gods, united orders, plural celestial marriage, the gathering of Israel, rebaptisms, the true endowment. They reject all of these things and they look at it as filth and they pervert it and they dumb it down and they reject many things that were taught and restored by the prophet Joseph Smith. That's why they're called the drunkards of Ephraim. Because they should be the daughter of God, of Christ, or the wife of Christ. But what they do is that they get drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great and they become a whore. They're supposed to be the wife of Christ, to be the church of God, but they accept Babylon the Great... And they'll go to to church and to Christ once a week. And the rest of the week they are accepting their place in Babylon the Great. Lying and cheating and stealing and putting on a, a, a fake face. And pretending to be something that they're not. To take advantage of their brothers and sisters. Because that's what Babylon the Great does. And they have become the whore of all the earth that John sees. Just like the Catholic Church. This is a great apostasy that's happened, but the difference is the priesthood is still on the earth. But because of what Hubert J. Grant did, it's not in the church because in 1921 so almost almost 98 years ago from 1921 to 1957 they changed the way the church, uh, the people got the priesthood they conferred priesthood before that so when when john the baptist came and conferred priesthood to joseph he said upon you my fellow servants i confer the priesthood of Aaron, in the name of Messiah. That's how it was done. Heber J. Grant, when he was uh, first counselor in the first presidency with Joseph F. Smith, he and Charles W. Penrose presented to Joseph F. Smith that hey, we shouldn't give them the priesthood. We should just ordain them to offices, but not. And Joseph F. Smith told him he was going to excommunicate him if they if they like tried to bring this forth again. But guess what? Joseph F. Smith died and Heber J. Grant became president of the church. And just like he and Charles Penrose had decided to do, they changed the method of conferring the priesthood to only ordaining to offices. Now, if you want to go into more detail on this, type in YouTube, Luke Warm Part 2. And then click on that video and then you can watch that you will you should see in the, the uh, suggested videos, Warm Part 1. I don't know why. If you put in Part 2, it goes to it. If you put in Part 1, it goes to a whole bunch of other things. It's really hard to find it. Lukewarm Part 1 and 2 talk about what happened. Where they only conferred priesthood from 1921 through the end of of Hubert j grant's ministry where he was the president of the church george albert smith the eighth president of the church continued on with this perversion of not conferring priesthood but only ordaining to offices so basically people were ordained to office with no priesthood he dies and David O. McKay becomes the ninth president of the church and he tried to change it back and to go back to make sure all of these ordinances were done correctly, Rebaptism, people getting their endowments again, people getting sealed again, all of that because the priesthood had not been conferred correctly and people were, were ordaining and doing all of these blessings and all of these ordinances with no priesthood. David O. McKay wanted to change it back, but he had to have a unanimous decision by the first presidency and the Council of the Twelve Apostles, which he could not get. So it was never fixed. And the priesthood became very sparse, very, very um, limited within the church. So there was priesthood still, Melchizedek and Aaronic, but the majority of the saints, because of the deception of of Heber J. Grant, who was a Babylonian businessman who hijacked the church, and I can get into whole podcasts about that, but the church lost much of the priesthood because of what he did. And then because of that and because of other corruptions, God commanded me to sever the ordinances of all of the holy people, which is a direct fulfillment of Daniel chapter 12, where Daniel sees the man clothed in linen, raising his arms to the air, or or what he was seeing was me raising my hands to the square after the order of the Melchizedek priesthood, and What it says in the King James Version is scattering the power, but what it should say is severing the priesthood of all of the holy people. When I asked God why he wanted me to do this, he told me, if they will not accept you as my witness, now remember, I am the witness of the Father and the Son. I am the second counselor in the first presidency of this earth under the direction of Jehovah our Elohim. If you will not accept me as the witness, he will not accept you in his church, the church of the firstborn. And if you will not accept me as the witness with my witness, then you will not have priesthood conferred upon you. And that goes for men with the Melchizedek priesthood and for women with the matriarchal priesthood, which had been restored to Emma, which Brigham Young got rid of and has been re-restored again on this earth. To my wife, Kimberly, she has the matriarchal priesthood, which is part of the Melchizedek priesthood for women. That had to be restored because the church of God and the restoration is out of order. Continuing, we're on page 173 at 62%. No one would want to spend that much time in paradise overcoming his failures. Yeah, but like we have... This is Ogden's ideas, okay? We have eternal life. We have the vast expanse of the eternity. What do you think we're going to be doing with that? Are we going to be floating in the clouds, playing our harps, Well, what happens when God creates a new heaven and a new earth? Broaden your mind and open it up to the expanse of the eternities and you will begin to understand that this life, even though it seems long in this state of probation, this is a drop of water in an ocean of eternity. And Brigham Young might not want to go through the things he's going through again. And you know what? I don't either. I am still suffering physically from things that I've been through, um, persecution that I've been through, abuse, neglect, abuse physically, mentally, sexually, sexually. I've been diagnosed with PTSD because of the things that I've been through. I don't want to go through it again. But I understand that going through these things is helping me to become more like God. Jesus Christ, when I sat after I embraced him the first time, after I I embraced him, we sat down on these rock benches and we just talked for a long time and he told me something i did not want to hear and i still don't want to hear it but i'm going to tell you what he told me all of the things that have that i have gone through in this life all of the hard things and what was he talking about neglect abandonment physical sexual abuse mental abuse in my childhood homelessness drug addiction suicidal ideations all of the attacks from satan himself and from demonic when i talk about i've been smothered i've been smothered i have been physically attacked by demonic entities bitten scratched i have a i have a a burn on me right now so i didn't have it when uh when I started my, my work week last week, I'm an oil-filled trucker. I, I bring crude oil from the basin in Utah to Castle Country, where there is a rail line and big old tanks, and I bring it to there, and then it is shipped down to Texas. The cloth- clothing that I wear is, I wear two layers. I wear an inner layer, which is an overall and an outer layer, which is an overall and it's also fire resistant fire retardant like it's protection it's like they're expensive clothes i have to have them i have a the the clothing uh, it goes down to my wrist and all the way up to my neck and all the way down to my boots if there's an explosion so there was a there was an explosion a couple of years back at a refinery in Salt Lake City, and the man who was there in the fireball, he had burns on his hands and his face, but not where his fire retardant clothing is. And so this stuff <clears throat> now I have a burn right by my elbow, about three inches. Toward my hand on my elbow, from from my elbow, it's a burn. Okay, it's about the size of a dime or a penny. All week I was wearing this clothing. I was not burned. That I have this burn. In the past, like I have had bite marks on me and scratches on me that look like they're human bite marks, I was in my semi-truck alone when these things happened. Like, I would feel a burn and I would, like, take my coat off and there's a burn. Like, I would be asleep and I would feel... I would feel like somebody was biting me and I would lift up my shirt or my garments and there would be a bite on my stomach or on my chest or... On my arms. All of the things that I have gone through and all of the things I am going through, Jesus said He is allowing me to go through that I might become the servant of God that He needs me to be. This prob- probation, this is my progression. I'm going through these things so that I can become more like He is. I agreed to this in the pre-existent world before I came into mortality, and I and the veil was placed on my mind, and I don't completely understand it, but I do trust Jesus Christ, who told me face to face that that that. He's allowing me to go through these things. And it's hard, and I don't like it. Do you think I want to go through it again? No, because the next step for me, as God the witness, is to be God the Redeemer. Do you want to go through what Jesus Christ went through? I don't. But I'm going to go through it. Because that's part of being, of progressing. Progressing. This is part of multiple mortal probations. This is part of eternal lives. And when I redeem that world that John sees in vision, that new earth that will be created and has not yet been created, I will become an Adam to the next world. And then I will become an Elohim after that world is over with. So basically I am three worlds or two worlds you include this one, three from becoming an exalted Elohim. No, I don't want to go through it again. But I will. And I'll do it alone. For the most part i mean god has given me a wife and children and i love them to death he's given me animals i do have friends but for the most part i'm going through this alone for the most part jesus christ went through it alone eventually he had some disciples but they they couldn't get it through their head about what he was talking about either he in a sense was very alone. They didn't understand what was going to happen until after it already happened. And then he had to go and walk with them on the road to Emmaus and explain everything. He tried to explain it in mortality. He tried to get into the head of those people the things that are going on or that were going to happen much the same way Joseph Smith was trying to get important things into the head of the saints when he talked about hemlock knots and like pumpkins for hammers and cornbread wedges for for you know, moles Joseph Smith had people around him but in a sense he was alone because the people couldn't understand what he wanted to share with them Moses was alone. He had people around him, but they they backbit, they rumor, they try to take over things. They wouldn't come on the mountain. He wanted them to come on the mountain. He wanted them to understand what he understood and knew what he knew and have the same experiences, but they just wouldn't go. It is a lonely thing to be a prophet of God. Now, I've met so many people in the church that are like, oh, "I want to be the prophet." Or, "I know I'm going to be the prophet." On so many hundreds of people of these these elders, usually young men, but they look at the president of the church and how much love and admiration he gets and like he's taken care of and all the things and of course who wouldn't want that. But if you look at prophets in the scriptures, they are often rejected and and neglected and persecuted and murdered. Who would want that? These guys who pro, uh, proclaim to be prophet, seers, and revelators, who, by the way, what prophecy do they come up with? What revelation have they presented? What dreams or vision have, visions have they spoken about? See, they don't have the fruit of being prophet, seers, and revelators, but the world loves them, the church loves them. They are not a threat to the devil's kingdom. And if they were, the devil's kingdom would be going after them. If you see an individual who is testifying to you that they are a witness of the Father and the Son, and they are trying to teach you doctrine, and the world rejects them, that's a fruit and a sign that they're a true prophet. Anyway, to reread what I just was reading. No one would want to spend that much time in paradise overcoming his failures, and this could not refer to reincarnation as no one no one lives 10,000 years in one mortal existence. And he did not say in other existences. Okay. <clears throat> okay. No one wants to live in... in I've already said it. I'm just going to continue reading. Sorry. Orson Pratt makes a similar reference, and thus all of the different uh, portions of the earth have been and will be disposed of to the lawful heirs, while those who cannot prove their heirship to be legal, or who cannot prove that they have received any portion from the earth by promise will be cast out into some other kingdom or world see these guys they're speculating they don't know where if they will get an inheritance they will have to earn it by keeping the law of meekness during another probation well that's interesting they still don't know but but he's talking about like oh you're gonna have to go into another probation anyway that's journal of discourses which are recorded The recorded sermons from the pulpit—that's what the Journal of Discourses is—and there's so much information in them that the church doesn't want you to know about. They discount them and try to make excuses why you shouldn't read them. But we're not going to do that. I have uh, Kevin Kraut's old, uh, you know, old Doctrine and or not uh, Journal of Discourses. I'm looking at it right now. When Ogden died, he gave, or he inherited Ogden Kraut's Journal of Discourses, and Kevin gave me his. There's a lot of truth in them. There's a lot of speculation in them as well. Anyway, continuing, but that was DNC, or no, I'm sorry, Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 332 and 333 since he did not use the word probations in the plural, oh my gosh, so he says, uh, keeping the law of meekness during another probation. So Ogden's like, since he did not use the word probation in the plural, or probations, he's probably referring to the spirit world, which we have mentioned earlier is also a state of probation. And it is. When Joseph Smith said uh, that The Holy Ghost is in in a state of probation. That's the first estate. That's the spirit world before we come to this world. This is the second probation or the second estate. Anyway, continuing on. One life, one spirit, one body. It seems very probable that if there were to be a continual series of rebirths into mortality, Brigham Young would have said so. But Brigham Young did not understand these things in their fullness. Ogden and I would have an argument. But Ogden states, on the contrary, however, many of his sermons state just the opposite. For example, quote, If you abuse your wives, turn them out of doors, and treat them in a harsh and cruel manner, you will be left wifeless and childless and will have no increase in eternity. You will have bartered this blessing that and that this privilege away, you have sold your birthright as Esau did his blessing, and it can never come to you again. Never, no never. Journal of Discourses, Brigham Young, volume, uh, volume 1, page 119. Once again, these are Brigham's opinions. He did not understand these things. He is not the Lord's anointed. Continuing. This life is now the only life to us, and if we do not appreciate it properly, it is impossible to prepare for a higher and more exalted life. Journal of Discourses, Volume 10, page 222. And basically what these people are trying to do is damn everybody in their state, Uh, you know, the majority of people on the earth. 99.9999 99.9999 and ninety nine ninety nine ninety nine, whatever, all the way, that just like a very small percentage of the people of this earth ever had the fullness of the gospel. And only like a very small percentage will be, you know, exalted. But when you understand multiple mortal probation and the progression of the gods or of humanity of God's children through the worlds and eternal lives every life is valuable from the church in Pakistan to the hut in Africa every single life is valuable for progression to gain a higher resurrection or on page 174 Wilfred Woodruff took the same position Quote, I have heard that in Zion there are some men who entertain the idea that they inherit the body and spirit of Moses, or Abraham, or David, or Noah, or somebody other than themselves. Huh. I hope none of you here indulge in anything of this kind. And like I've, I've said before, like people are like, you're Joseph Smith. I don't think so. Or you're uh, Enoch? I'm already an exalted God And I just came to help them be the one mighty and strong I got that one um, I, I was Elisha According to some individuals um, I was John the Baptist According to some individuals You know But God hasn't revealed any of that to me He reveals it to other people apparently But I never get any word about it And like even if I was those people Who cares Who am I now Those lives are done with and over. What am I doing today? This life is a meant for time to prepare to meet God. I'm not worried about past lives, and I'm not worried about future lives. I'm worried about this life. What am I going to do today to serve God, to serve my wife, to serve my family, and to serve my stewardship, the animals that, um, that are under my stewardship, the cats and the dog and the chickens and the goats, <laughs> my kids who are also my pets. <laughs> anyway, because it is most foolish, nonsensical, and a false doctrine, you gaze upon a man who possesses, professes to have inherited the body or spirit of Moses... And any of those I have named, and I think you will conclude that his appearance does not indicate that such is the case. At any rate, it certainly has not improved him. Brother Woodruff, Brother Canyon, Brother Smith, Brother Lorenzo Snow, or any of the brethren will never inherit anybody else's body or spirit but their own in time or in eternity unless the devil gets into them. And I, you know what, I kind of agree with him. I, I do agree with him a lot. It is Satan who, who inspires men to believe in such absurd things. I tell you that whoever sees me in time or eternity will see Wilford Woodruff, not Noah, nor Abraham, nor Enoch. Every man who has his own identity, and he never will lose that identity. <clears throat> Excuse me. Therefore, when you hear such doctrines as that advanced, do not believe it. And this is in Collier's discussion. Um, So Fred Collier, all right, I got to explain this. Fred Collier worked for the church. He He went through archives and he found things that the church did not publish and does not want out there. He would take the microfiche of, the, of these things or something. He'd make copies somehow. Or he, he didn't make copies. He would take it um, to the bathroom. There was a window in the bathroom where an individual was waiting on the outside to receive the documents. They would take the documents out of the church's uh, place where these, these records were kept... They would make copies of it, and then they would bring it back, and then Fred would put it back in so that the originals were still in the church's archives, but they had copies of things. Fred Collier did this for a long time. Fred Collier's still alive. Anyway, he's got um, a collection that he's published from all of these doctrines and all of these statements and all of these things which, which the church wants to hide. So, hats off to Fred Collier for doing this. Anyway, continuing on. And also from Abraham Cannon, we had some talk about reincarnation, which doctrine it is feared is entertained by Orson F. Whitney, George Parkinson, and others. So, so these are ideas that these individuals who are in the first, are the Council of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. At that time, they believed in multiple mortal probations, which is, the perversion of that is reincarnation. The perversion of the doctrine of eternal lives is reincarnation. And transmigration of souls and all of that fun stuff. So Abraham Cannon, who is also a member of the Quorum of Twelve, is like, yeah, we've talked about these things. These things are kind of believed in by these other members of the Council of the Twelve. He says it was felt that these and other, these and any other persons who believed in this false idea should be corrected, and that is Abraham H. Cannon Dr- journal, October 25th, 1895. So, these ideas are being you know, talked about in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in the First Presidency. Abraham H. Cannon was in the Apostleship. He was one of the Apostles uh, during the life of Wilfred Woodruff. Understanding Heber C. Kimball, there are at least three statements by Heber C. Kimball that reincarnationalists think support their beliefs. These will be included here together with a con- contrasting view of their interpretation. And we're on page 175 at 76% for the reading today, or for this whole chapter. So basically 50% for this chapter, anyway, or for this part. All right, still I believe the greater part of the inhabitants of the earth will be redeemed. Yea, All will be finally redeemed except those who have sinned against the Holy Ghost or shed innocent blood, and they can never be redeemed until the debt is paid. And I do not know any other way for them to pay it unless they are brought back again into a mortal existence and pay the debt where they contracted it. Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 667. Was he saying that those who sinned against the Holy Ghost must come back into a mortal existence and pay a debt for sinning in such a manner? This doctrine is contrary to the doctrine of Joseph Smith, who said they never would be redeemed. Or was was saying that the only way they could pay it is to come back if that were possible? But... As he said, quote, all will be finally redeemed except for those who have sinned against the Holy Ghost or shed innocent blood. So, um, to sin against the Holy Ghost means that the Holy Ghost speaks to you and you receive a confirmation of the Spirit and then you, you reject it because... Because the conflagrations of of man, the thoughts and ideas of man, they, they seem logical and they persuade you to reject the spirit that you once had a witness of. So you have denied the Holy Ghost. And to shed innocent blood would mean that you shed a murder innocence. Whether it be the prophets... Or children or innocent individuals that's to shed innocent blood now Nephi shed the blood of Laban but what did Laban do Laban broke Torah laws the laws of God which had the death penalty assigned to them he was already guilty of that and in the present state and corruption of the church in that time he would not have received his due justice. So God God was the judge. God judged that he should be executed. And according to the book of Lehi, which I have been given access to, the whole thing, not the abridged part, the whole thing, God showed me through that, through the reading of the Book of Lehi, that uh, Laban was drunk. Nephi took his clothes off because God told him to. Took his helmet off and took his sword because God told him to. While Laban was still drunk, and God told him to execute. Laban, which he, he was guilty of execute or he was guilty of crimes which were worthy of execution. Execution. For those individuals who want to freak out about that and saying Laban was innocent, he was not innocent. He was a thief and a liar, and he used his position as as a leader of a legion to bully people and steal. How do you think he had all that he had? They stole Lehi's property. They tried to kill Laman and Lemuel and Nephi. And maybe Sam, I don't remember if they went or if he went with them or not, but they were guilty of of death under Torah law. And what Nephi did, even though he did not want to be the executioner, when he did what God told him to do, he was not guilty of, of the murder or shedding innocent blood. Anyway, continuing on. Then, of course, we are, we are conducted along from this probation to, an, to, to other probations or for one dispensation to another, ...by those who conducted those dispensations. Anyway, Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 63. And like, okay, so I want you to hear what I'm saying, but you know what? It's good that you read along, too. Since I talk so much and I, I go off on my tangents. By probation, he... Did he mean that we are conducted through many worlds are many probationary states or rather from one trial test examination as the dictionary defines and indeed we are we and indeed we are guided and conducted through various dispensations by each assigned leader and he's talking about mankind in general when he's talking about that this course is typical of the probations we take But suppose that I do not improve my time today. I wake up tomorrow and find myself in the rear. And then if I do not improve upon that day and again lay down to sleep on awakening, I find myself still in the rear. This day's work is typical of this probation. And the sleep of every night is a typical death. And rising in the morning is typical of the resurrection. They are day's labors. and it is for us to be faithful today, tomorrow, and every day. Journal of Discourses, Volume 328. I'm sorry, Volume 4, Page 328 and 329. We're on page 76 at 84%. Some suppose he is referring to a lifetime as a probation, however, he could be saying that every day is a probation, that sleep is symbolic of death, and rising in the morning is a representative of the resurrection. The Pre-Existent Probation The Prophet Joseph Smith said that God is good and all his acts are for the benefit of inferior intelligence. God saw that those intelligences had not power to defend themselves against those that had a had tabernacles, or bodies. Therefore, the Lord, Lord, the Lord calls them together in council and agrees to form them tabernacles, or bodies, mortal bodies. And that is taken from the words of Joseph Smith by Ehat and Cook, page 68, which is... You know what? Like teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith and words of Joseph Smith are two of the greatest compilations of Joseph Smith's teachings that we have. It, good stuff. If you have teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith and you've read it, I really suggest you read Words of Joseph Smith. In Words of Joseph Smith, you're going to learn about the the quotes where Joseph Smith talks about the Holy Ghost coming into a state of probation coming into mortality to do the same or similar things that jesus did you're also going to learn that joseph smith taught at the end of his life that elijah had to come again to restore the priesthood i know it's kind of weird the church doesn't want you to know about that but it's there it's documented and it's in words of joseph smith by e hatton cook Anyway, some Mormons conclude that evil spirits in in the pre-mortal state had tabernacles, and so the good spirits had to come to earth to gain tabernacles, so the evil spirits with tabernacles would not have power over them. Uh, Okay, that's a perversion of multiple mortal probations. The fact of the matter, all of the demons once had bodies on an older earth. Before this earth was organized, they, they agreed to put off their resurrections and come on an earth so that they could gain a higher level of resurrection. When Lucifer decided to rebel against the Father and the Son and present his own ideas and try to usurp authority over the the office and position of God the Redeemer, they fell. He fell and they fell. And they don't have... they, they They gave up their resurrection. They don't have bodies anymore. Jesus Christ had a body before this earth. I had a body before I came here. Before this earth was created. I gave up that resurrection because I've already gone through it. I became a spirit all the way up until June 29th, 1977. Which interesting, my birthday. Uh, this is just something that I, I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. So, if we were still under the law of Moses, <clears throat> my circumcision should have been on the seventh month of the seventh day of the of the seventy seventh year of the nineteenth or the twentieth century. I just thought that was interesting. I'm into numbers. I like numbers. But eight days after I was born is is July 7th, 1977, which is kind of cool. So, whatever. I also like to, this is just my own personality, I think it's kind of cool that I was on the earth for a small amount of time when Elvis Presley was still on the earth because he died in August of 1977. I'm like, I, I like to tease my wife, you are not part of the generation that was on the earth when elvis presley was still alive <laughs> and it's just my way of joking around it's my sense of humor but anyway continuing on however it is taught that pre-existent evil spirits were cast out of heaven and did not have power over the righteous spirits good spirits came to earth to receive a tabernacle or a body thus enabling them to have even more power over evil spirits as spirits in the pre-existence, we developed personalities and characteristics just as we do here in mortality. Our interests and knowledge were developed through free agency and were formed so deeply there that they frequently are manifested here. Apparently, we had the same emotions, affections, and even sexual passions in the pre-existence, For Joseph Lee Robinson quoted, Joseph Smith is saying, quote, and we're on page 177, if you're reading along at 90%, we also heard him, speaking of Joseph Smith, say that God had revealed unto him that any man who ever committed adultery in, in either of his probations, that that man could never be raised to the highest exaltation in the celestial kingdom or that and that he felt anxious with regard to himself and inquired of the Lord, and the Lord told him that he, Joseph, had never committed adultery. That's interesting, both of his probations. This is the first time ever, well, I don't remember reading this quote before. Obviously, I have because I've read this book before, but that's interesting. This saying of the prophet astonished me very much. It opened opened up to me a very wide field of reflection, the idea that we had passed through other, through probations prior to this, and that we must have been married and given a marriage in those probations, or that there would be no propriety in making such assertions, such an assertion, and that there were several exaltations in the celestial kingdom of our God. We will know the truth of this matter someday. And that is History of Joseph Lee Robinson, who was an early convert to the church, page 12, as quoted in the notes, Openshaw, page 371. Reincarnationalists believe this is proof of the other mortal existences rather than something in our pre-mortal life. Okay, but... Before we came to this world, we were not married in the pre-existence. In order to commit adultery, we have to be married to another individual and then cheat on them. That's how adultery happens. And they were in the spirit. They wouldn't have physical ways to physically commit adultery in the spirit world. But they would if they had a body before this world was organized. So it's interesting. Anyway, let's see here. Reincarnations, reincarnationalists believe that this is proof of other mortal existences rather than something in our pre mortal life where promises and covenants also existed between men and women. In Mosiah Hancock's vision of the pre existence, he saw some beings taught in the arts and sciences, some of the females taking the males by the arm, and some neglecting the females in classes and going off arm in arm, arm as men go now, which indicate a indicates a possibility of a homosexual relationship even in the pre existence. And Mosiah Hancock if you go to visions at ogdenkraut.com, you can read the full account of what he was shown, which is really interesting. You're going to think it's I think you'll think it's interesting. Whether you like it or not, whatever. I like it. I I was shown similar things before I ever knew about the Mosaic Hancock vision. So whatever. Anyway, Um, Regardless, these were conditions in the pre-existent spirit world, not of a mortal probation. No one, Catholic, Protestant, Buddhist, Hindu, or Mormon, who has ever been converted to the idea of reincarnation is going to be convinced otherwise against their will. They will continue to select phrases, sentences, and excerpts out of context that seem to support their belief. But I can say the same thing about Ogden Krauss. He never accepted this. So he's going to say, oh, well, that doesn't really mean this, that means that. It's kind of like how Joseph Smith was going to all these different churches, and they were like, oh, this scripture means this. And they're like, oh, you're a damned fool because you think it believes this. Um, you're you're going to go to hell because the way I see it is this way. And like it's the same crap that's been going on since day one in the history of this earth. And, and it's the reason why Joseph couldn't trust other church churches and other individuals in those churches, because they have their own thoughts, ideas, and interpretations. And so does Ogden Crow. And so do I, except for I, I... I got to the point where I was like, okay, my shelf is broken. God had me... Um, from like 2001 to 2003, really study secret society, secret societies, the Illuminati, the Bilderbergs, the, the Bohemians, the Council on Foreign Relations, like all of these organizations. So I knew what they were. And then about 10 years, give or take a year or two later... After I'd learned who these organizations were and, and way, where they came from and all of that, I came across the fact that Wilford Woodruff was a keynote speaker at the Bohemian Club the day before he died because Wilfred Woodruff was poisoned to death. Same as John Taylor was, same as Brigham Young was. The first four presidents of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, John Taylor, and Wilfred Woodruff, were all murdered. Three by assassination through a bullet. No, one by, well, two, because Hiram as well. Two by assassination with a bullet. Three, by arsenic poisoning or by poisoning of of some other uh, chemical. Now, when I, I found out that Wilfred Woodruff had been the keynote speaker at the Bohemian Club, knowing who they were and the connections that they had, I was like, why would a prophet of God ever have anything to do with those people? And I went and I used my, my experience in college to, uh, to research and I found two other – no, three, three. Three newspaper articles, one in San Francisco at the time, the Salt Lake Tribune at the time, and one in, in New York City at the time, which talked about Wilfred Woodruff being the keynote speaker the night before he died. And I said to myself, how in the world could Wilfred Woodruff even have any association as a prophet of God with these individuals? That broke me. And I had to go back and I had to say, okay, I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Because of the powerful revelation and confirmation that I received, I can never deny. I had assumed that Wilfred Woodruff and others were were the the rightful successors after Joseph Smith. And I was wrong. And I had to go back and I had to say, okay, what do I know is true? And everything else, I had to throw it off and I had to go line upon line, precept upon precept, and get confirmation so that I could know the truth, so I could be built upon the rock of revelation, which is the rock that God builds his church on. Not the rock of following other men, not the rock of speculation, not any of that. They will continue to select phrases, sentences, and excerpts out of context that seem to support their belief. Rather than trying to see the overall picture of God's plan for the salvation of mankind and we're on the last page 178 at ninety eight percent, concluding more quotations and references in this chapter would not make them any would not make any difference to them but perhaps, It will be a great surprise when they arrive in the spirit world and discover they don't have another chance at mortality. Based on their former beliefs, will they be relieved or disappointed at such news? Hopefully, we will each live this life to the fullest, just in case. See, just in case, he doesn't know. Anyway, the next chapter that we're going to be covering is chapter 20, starting on page 179, The Case of Father Adam. So anyway, that's all I have to say. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to put another podcast out this week because um, I'm going to Salt Lake again. And... um, I'm going to go visit with some people. So one of the nice things about beating myself to death on this job that I do is I work 14 to 16 hours a day, four days on, and then I get four days off. Now, I'm in a lot of pain right now, and that pain will last for probably two days, But I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I got four days off to recover from this excruciating work that I do. Like, so I can take care of my family and try to get ahead as far as like, I've got farm equipment to buy. I have water that was supposed to come with the property. I was supposed to get 26 shares. I only got five. They will not give up the rest. I can either sue them or maybe I can buy it from them. At a thousand dollars a share, it's kind of expensive, but like what am I gonna do? I've got ten acres, I've got to have water for this ground, or it's just gonna be dry ground, and like I am a steward. God gave me this property, this ten acres, as a steward, and and I have animals and I want to take care of them. I wanna do what God wants me to do. Like this ministry is part of that, taking care of my family is part of that, taking care of my animals. And my property is part of that and and so it is what it is, right? So I'm I'm doing this job which, you know, my wife loves this job. I do not like this job. It is very difficult. Even like this week I didn't chain up one time. But when I do have to put chains on, they are so heavy, I can barely... And I'm strong. I'm a strong man. I can barely get them onto the tires. I can barely lift them up to get them onto the tires and drape them over. And I have to chain up 8 to 10 tires every single time I chain up. So, that's very difficult. But lifting up these four-inch hoses as long as they are and doing all of the other physical labor that I do, physical, it's hard to bend these hoses when it's two degrees outside. So my last load, I went back over to the, the basin, which is where the oil fields are, and the first four wells that we checked had to be rejected for different reasons. Finally, we got to the fifth well, and and we had so we had to buy it. Buying is basically um, we take samples, we we check to see the oil floats on top of water, so water will be on the bottom of the tank, which is fine unless it's too high because the the valve that we suck through the first three tanks from the bottom. To the valve that we sucked through was twelve inches to the bottom of the valve. If it's within two inches of that, we'll suck water into our tank. We can't do that. there's there's reasons it's bad. We need to have that water sucked down so that we don't suck it off. now the the two the next two wells had sixteen inch bottoms, okay? Uh, and that that's basically 16 inches from the bottom of the tank to the bottom of the, the valve that we suck all the oil out of. But then we found out that the one was supposed to go to a refinery in Salt Lake, so she couldn't give it to me because I had this, this person who was buying the wells and, like, I'm helping her and everything. And so we went to the fifth one. From 9-something from o'clock at night till... I think 2 in the morning, I was standing outside doing this stuff and and moving the truck around whatever. But it was 2... 2 degrees outside. My face... Like, I'm talking... It, this is a girl. She's like 30 years old. She's really nice. But she's an oil field worker. Okay, tough as nails, like we all are. Like whatever and I'm standing out there talking to her and my face was so cold I put my hand up to it and I could not feel my hand touching my face so so that's the job that I do and right now I have arthritis because I've been I started I got my CDL in 1995. I started driving a truck for a farm in 1994 and I started actually my driving history is really interesting. I started driving this contraption that my grandpa made that I could sit in the middle and there was a steering wheel and there was like this hump and then there was this two sides beside the hump. And my two sisters would sit on the one side and my grandpa with his wooden legs would sit on the other side. And he had um, this this thing and he controlled the speed, but I steered it all over the place. I loved it. And then when I was 10 years old, my grandpa decided that he needed to teach me how to drive. And so as a 10-year-old, I, I can't even imagine this. My daughter's almost 10. I'm like, she is not driving anything. But we had this 1975 chevy pickup truck which is still in my family and when i was 10 years old my grandpa taught me how to drive it and he sat with me every time i would drive it from 10 and 11 and when i was 12 he said take the garbage to the dump which was two miles south of town which was about three miles away from where we lived and every wednesday i would take the trash and put it in the back of the truck and I would drive by myself down to the dump and throw the, the the trash in the garbage. When I was 12, when I was 14, we had a motor home that we like we'd go all over the place in. When I was 14, Grandpa said, OK, you can drive the motor home. But he said he would sit in the passenger seat, and my grandma would be in the back, like making sandwiches or just laying on the bed or doing whatever she was doing. She would play solitaire or whatever. And because um, there was a bed in the back, and then there was like a bed uh, where there was a table that you could make into a bed, and then there was like a bed above the cab. It was a class C motorhome, I think. Or maybe it was class B. It wasn't class A. Anyway, but um, I would drive that all over the West Coast as a 14-year-old. And my grandpa had this, this uh, rule. I, back then, the whole nation was 55. There was no 65. There was no 60. 55 was the fastest you could go anywhere in the nation. And he said, you have to go 55 and you can drive until you need a break. When you need a break, I'm going to drive. And it will be the end of your turn to drive. So I learned how to drive long distances. And I, my grandpa knew I wanted to be a truck driver when I grew up. And I think he did that because, because he was teaching me to have endurance in driving. In 1994, when I was 17 years old, he got me a job driving a potato truck at Larson's Farms in Hamer, Idaho, and I drove for a living as a 17-year-old kid from midnight to 4 p.m., six days a week. In 1994, I went into diesel mechanics school and got my degree in diesel mechanics by 1996, and in 1995, while I was in the program, I earned my Class A CDL, 1995. <clears throat> in 1996, I left Job Corps in the diesel mechanics training program, and I got a job as a diesel mechanic, which I really suck at. And then I got a job driving produce truck all the way we were based in Bountiful, and I would deliver all the way up to Provo. Or not Provo. Um, Cache Valley to Logan. And all the way down to, like, Spanish Fork. And this produce, produce truck. Okay. And then I went on my mission in 1997. And I... Got really sick and they sent me home on medical leave in 1998 and I didn't get better in the allotted amount of time and that was my mission. Later on that year, 1998, I started driving over the road as an over-the-road truck driver. And from 1998 until today, for 25 years, that's all I've done. Because of that, I have arthritis in my body. I have joint deterioration in my spine and other places. I got popping everything and grinding everything. I have two bulged discs, two in my neck, and one in my back, so three altogether. And so, and, and I was an oil field worker where I drove a truck in the oil fields before from 2008 to 2010. So two and a half years of doing that. And like I beat myself to death as a truck driver. And now I'm in the oil field again and I enjoy the work, but my body is so beat up. I don't know how much longer I can take this. But I'm in debt because we we had to well we didn't have to this house that we bought it had carpet from the 70s and like um windows from the 70s on the backside we had to have them replaced the doors were letting cold air come in so we replaced let's see all of the doors like in that um in order for the inspection pass we had to have a fire door between the garage and the the house, so that was another door. Anyway, but like we're doing all these things trying to improve our living situation. And it costs money. It costs like $30,000 to do all of the updates that we needed to have done for this house. And there's still more that we need to do. So yeah, I have to work. Um, before I took this job as an oil field worker, I was... Um, driving six days a week, I was in pain all the time because I, you know, the back problem and everything, uh, my wife would never get to see me except for when I was on my one day and I was just like, I don't want to do anything cause I'm recovering, you know? So at least she gets to see me for four days a week now and not just one. So, um, I wish that we had a united order and I didn't have to do all the things. Like Joseph Smith, he had the store that he ran. I could run a store, (laughs) but I'm a truck driver. I wish I could do the ministry full time and I didn't have to worry about all the other stuff. But at the same time, it's hard because I'm alone. Like, I don't want to exalt myself above other individuals, but I tell you who I am because God told me to be bold with my witness, not because I'm trying to boast in who I am. Like, that's something that a lot of people get wrong about me. I look around and I see these other individuals and I say, why couldn't you have chose them they seem more righteous, they seem like more knowledgeable <clears throat> whatever. And another thing that God revealed to me is he chose me because I'm stubborn. That even with all the rejection that I've had that I'm still going to do it. I might throw a fit and throw a temper tantrum because I can't I don't want to do this anymore and I don't But he knows that I will continue doing it because he asked me to do it. And I love him with all of my heart. And I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. So maybe that's why he chose me to do something that most people wouldn't or couldn't do. Anyway, so that's the program for today. Like I said, I don't know when I'll get the next one out there. Uh, This looks pretty interesting, though. The case of Father Adam, chapter 20 of Reincarnation, uh, starting on page 179. You can go read it at Ogdenkraut.com if you want. Read ahead, uh, or you can wait for me to post it out there. So, Anyway, thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye.